Welcome to A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, one of the most famous Christmas stories of all time, performed entirely by the staff of WICH Radio. Once upon a time of all good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Ebenezer Scrooge, member of the firm Scrooge, Marley & Company, sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, and he could hear people in the court outside go wheezing up and down and stomping their feet on the ground just to keep warm. The city clocks had just gone three, but it was quite dark already, and the candles were glaring in the windows of the neighboring offices like ruddy smears in the brown air. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eye on his faithful but shivering clerk, Bob Cratchit, who in a dismal, cold room below was copying letters. Suddenly, Bob Cratchit rose and approached the office of old Scrooge. Well, out with it. What are you standing there for? Well, sir, my fire's almost out, and I thought another bit of coal would keep it going until... Nonsense, nonsense. Haven't I told you I won't have you burning up my coal like, uh, like tinder? Yes, sir. Well, why don't you go back to your work? Well, sir, tomorrow's Christmas. Yes, I... yes, I know. You were wondering whether you would have all day off, I suppose. If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. Yes, sir. Bah, Christmas. Nothing but a poor excuse to pick a man's pocket every December 25th. My old partner, Marley, agreed well with me. He thought it a lot of humbug, too. And you, a clerk with 15 shillings a week and a wife and family, talking about a Merry Christmas. Bah! May I have tomorrow off, sir? I, I suppose you must. But be here all the earlier the next morning. Yes, sir. I will, and, and thank you, sir. All right, uh, who's that, Cratchit? A man, sir. I don't know who he is. Well, uh, oh, let him in. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead seven years. Seven years this very night, to be exact. We have no doubt about his generosity being well represented by his surviving partner. <laughs> Generosity? At this festive season, Mr. Scrooge, it's more than desirable that we make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. At this moment, sir, many are in great need of food and shelter and are suffering greatly. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. Still, I wish I could say, but they're not. Oh, the treadmill, the poor law are still in full vigor then. Both are very busy. Oh, I was afraid, by the way, you were carrying on that they had ceased their useful course of operation. But, sir, these organizations scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to these unfortunate people. It's because a few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy these people some food and drink and a means of warmth. We choose this time because it's a time above all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Uh, nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since but... you ask me what I wish, that is my answer. I don't make myself merry at Christmas. My partner Marley never did, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those that are badly off must go there. But, sir, many can't go there, and many would rather die than go there. If they would rather die, then they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, that's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not interfere with other people, so I bid you good afternoon. Good afternoon.
Cratchit, who is that? Your nephew, sir. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Bah! Humbug! Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right do you have to be merry? You're poor enough. Look at you. Then how can you not be merry? You're rich enough. <laughs> bah! Humbug! Ah, don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in a world of fools such as this? Merry Christmas. What's it to you but a time of paying bills without money? If I could have it my way, every idiot who walks around with Merry Christmas on his lips would be boiled in his own pudding. But, Uncle... Nephew, keep your Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it's ever done you or ever. <laughs> Why, Uncle, it's done me a lot of good. Apart from its sacred celebration, it's bought me a good time... A kind, forgiving, charitable, a happy time. The only time I know in the whole calendar when men and women open their hearts and hearts that are sometimes stay closed the rest of the year. Yes, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. Oh, you're quite a powerful speaker, sir. It's a wonder you don't run for parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come on, dine with us tomorrow. Oh, I won't dine with you. But why? Why? Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love? Good afternoon. Nay, Uncle, you never came to see me before I was married. Why give that as a reason for not coming now? Oh, Good afternoon. Uncle, why can't we be friends? We never had a quarrel to which I've been a party and never will. I have come to see you in homage to Christmas and will keep my Christmas spirit to the last. So a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Bah! After such a disturbing afternoon, Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers, went home to bed. He lived in chambers which used to belong to his irascible old partner, Marley. It was a gloomy suite of rooms, old and dreary, where no one lived but Scrooge, the other rooms being let out as offices. Once in his apartment, he closed and locked his door in his usual fashion, put on his dressing gown and slippers, and sat down before the fire to take his evening meal. The fire was very low indeed, casting eerie shadows on the walls, and he had to sit close to it in order to extract any warmth from it. As he leaned forward in his chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell that hung in the room and communicated, for some purpose long forgotten, with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was with great dread that as he looked, he saw the bell begin to swing, first softly and then so loudly that every bell in the house joined in and rang also. This lasted for half a minute or so, but to Scrooge, it seemed a terrifying hour. The bell ceased, only to be followed by a clanging noise deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine cellar. Scrooge then remembered that ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. Then followed a series of strange sounds as of feet mounting stairs coming closer and closer toward his room. Scrooge, suddenly aware that some weird happening was about to occur, hugged his shivering body and waited in fear and trembling. I know you, I know you, Marty's ghost. How now, what could you possibly want with me? You soon will know. Well, who are you? Ask me who I was. Well, uh, who were you then? 
In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Uh, can you uh, sit down? I can. Well, then do it, then. You don't believe me, do you? Uh, I don't. What evidence would you like of me beyond your senses? Uh, I, I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because uh, maybe a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat you. You may be uh, an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. There's more of gravy than the grave of you, whatever you are. Humbug, I tell you, humbug! Mercy, dreadful apparition, why do you trouble me? Man of worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do, I must, but why do spirits walk on the earth and why do they come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk among his fellow men. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is required for him to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, woe is me, and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth, and turned into happiness. You are fettered. Why? Tell me why. I wear the chains I forged in life. I made it link by link, and of my own free will I wore it. Would you know the weight of the chain you yourself carry? It was as full and heavy as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is indeed a ponderous chain. Oh, Jacob, oh, Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. Comfort comes from other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge, and is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. Nor can I tell you what I would. A very little amount of time is left to me. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. In my life, my spirit never walked beyond the narrow limits of our counting house. Mark me, and weary journeys lie before me. Oh, you must have been very slow about it, Jacob. Slow? Seven years dead and traveling all the time? The whole time, no rest, no peace, incessant torture of remorse. Oh, you travel fast, eh? On the wings of wind. You must have gone over a quantity of ground in seven years. Oh, captive bound and double-ironed, not to know, not to know that any Christmas spirit working kindly in this little sphere, whatever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused. Yet such was I. Oh, such was I. Oh, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. At this time of the rolling year, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of my fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star that led the wise men to the manger? Were there no poor homes to which this light could have led me? Hear me, my time is nearly gone. I will, I will, but don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob. Pray! How is it that I appear before you in a shape that you can see? I do not know. I have sat invisible beside you many a day, and that was no easy part of my penance. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. Thank ye. Hear me. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is it that the hope you mentioned to me, Jacob? Is that it? 
It is. I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Uh, couldn't I just take them all at once and have it over with, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve ceases to vibrate. Look at me no more. No more! Slowly and quietly, the specter floated out upon the bleak night, leaving Scrooge desperate with curiosity behind. After a moment, he followed and went to the window and looked out. The air was filled with phantoms wandering hither and thither in restless haste. And mourning as they went, every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Many he knew personally, old friends who had passed on, business acquaintances, all bound and fettered and wailing mournfully. He had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat, with a monstrous iron safe attached to his ankle, who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman who he saw in a doorstep below. The misery of them was all clear that they sought to help in human matters, but had lost that power forever. With a painful sigh, Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double locked, just as he had locked it in the early evening. He tried to say, humbug, but stopped at the first syllable, and feeling much in need of repose, went straight to bed and fell asleep on the instant. Subconsciously from deep in the realms of sleep, old Scrooge heard the clock toll the quarter hour, the half hour, and remembered that the ghost had warned him of a visitation on the stroke of one. Recalling this, he dozed fitfully. On the instant of one, as he lay there, the lights flashed up in the room. For a moment, he blinked and then stared wide-eyed at what he saw before him. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold me? I am. Uh, who and uh, what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, long past? No, your past. Uh, what then, and what do you want with me? Rise. And walk with me. Oh, but I am mortal and liable to fall. You shall not fall. My hand will support you. Look beyond. What do you see? Uh, uh, good heaven, I see. I, uh, I see, well, I was a boy here. All this I remember well. Your lip is trembling. And what is that upon your cheek? Uh, just lead on, spirit. I'll follow. You remember the way? Remember why? It's the path of my boyhood. I could walk it blindfolded. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years. Strange, but let us go on. Ah, a school. Do you remember? But of course you do. Even though it is Christmas Eve, it is not quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is still there. I know him too well, my own lost boyhood, my lonely, lonely self. You recall this old brick schoolhouse with the school bell hanging from its roof? Now look, the walls are damp and mossy, the windows are broken, the gates decayed. Let us look within at the boy who still reads near that feeble fire. Oh, poor boy, poor lonely boy. It, it was that day my little sister Fan came with the happy news that she had persuaded my father to let me come home for Christmas. I had thought that I was to spend it alone at school. 
how she clapped her tiny hands and laughed when she told me that he had sent a coach to fetch me, that we could all have a happy Christmas together. Did you go? Oh, yes, merrily, with my trunk tied on top of the carriage and the quick wheels dashing through the snow. Your sister was always a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered, but she had a large heart. Oh, so she had, you're right. I will not deny it, spirit. God forbid. She died a woman, and I think one child. Well, well yes, my, my nephew Fred. Shall we leave the boy at his desk? Oh, my poor forgotten self as I used to be. Oh, poor boy. You have something to say. What is it? Well, well I, wi I wish, but uh, it's too late now. What is too late? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, last night a boy was singing a Christmas carol at my door, and, well, I should like to have given him something, that's all. Let us see another Christmas. And so the spirit of Christmas past led old Scrooge down the memories of long ago. Each separate experience recalling moments quite forgotten. Although they had just left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city. It was again Christmas time, but it was evening, and the streets were lighted up. The ghost stopped at a warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? Why, I was apprenticed here, cried Scrooge, and the joy of reunion came over him as he saw his old employer sitting behind a high desk in a Welch wig. Why, it's old Fezziwig, bless his heart. Fezziwig alive again, cried Scrooge, and as he watched, he saw the memories of that Christmas Eve suddenly come into being, the clearing of the warehouse floor for dancing, the fiddler perched on Fezziwig's high desk, the beaming faces of Mrs. Fezziwig and the gay laughter of twenty couple all dancing at once, himself, a young lad of eighteen, laughing with the rest. At the stroke of eleven, the party ended with everyone wishing everyone else a merry Christmas in high, ringing voices. Spirit, said Scrooge, what power we have to render others happy or unhappy. The power of words and deeds, as great as if it cost a fortune. He felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What's the matter, asked the ghost. Well, nothing in particular, said Scrooge. Just now I would like to be able to say a word to my clerk, Bob Cratchit, that's all. Once again, Scrooge and the ghost stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short, look, and Scrooge looked this time seeing himself as a man in the prime of life. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in morning dress, in whose eyes there were tears, which sparkled in a light that shone forth from the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little to you, very little. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can cheer you and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world. There's nothing on which the world is so hard as poverty, and there's nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. Poor Ebenezer, you fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the one hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach, the reproach of poverty. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. Have I not? Well, what then? Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I, I'm not changed towards you, am I? Our agreement is an old one made when we were both poor and content to be so until in good season we could improve our worldly fortune. You have changed. When we first met, Ebenezer, you were another man. Oh, I was, I was a boy. Your own feelings tell you that you are not the same. I am. 
That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is now full of misery, now that we are two. How often and keenly I have thought of this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it and can release you. Uh, have, I, have I sought release? In words... No, never. Well, in what, then? In a changed nature, an altered spirit, in anything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been before us, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? I don't think you would. You think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could. Heavens knows I would. But if you were free today, tomorrow, can even I believe that you would choose a poor girl? You who, in your very confidence with her ways, everything by gain... Or even if you should, do I not know that regret would surely follow? I do. And I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Spirit, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? One shadow more. No more, no more. I don't wish to see it. But the relentless ghost pinioned him in both arms and forced him to watch what happened next. They were in another scene and place, a room not very large and handsome, but full of Christmas cheer. Near to the winter fire sat a mother and daughter, so alike in their loveliness that Scrooge caught his breath to think that the comely matron might once have called him a husband, and that another such creature, quite as graceful and full of promise as her mother, might have called him father and been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life. As he watched, a knocking was heard at the door, and such a rush ensued, the younger children just in time from play to greet the father who had just arrived, laden with toys and Christmas presents. After the excitement quieted down, the master of the house sat by his own fireside, his daughter leaning fondly on him and his wife close by, making a picture of contentment and domestic happiness. Scrooge could stand no more. Spirit, he cried, remove me from this place. I cannot bear it. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. In his anguish, he wrestled with the spirit of Christmas past, and yet found he was only struggling with a strange, unbroken light. He was conscious of being exhausted and drowsy, and of being in his own bedroom, with barely enough time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. At the stroke of one, Scrooge awoke in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore and sat upright. He knew that the second messenger dispatched to him through Jacob Marley's intervention would shortly prevent himself and he wished that this time he could challenge the spirit the moment of his appearance. However, no spirit came. Five minutes, ten minutes passed until the clocks proclaimed the hour, and he still sat alone. At last he began to think. Throughout the hour, he had seen a ghostly light about the clock and wondered if in the adjoining room he would find its strange source. He had hardly moved when a strange voice called him by name and bade him enter. He obeyed. It was his own room, there was no doubt about that, but it had undergone a strange transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked like a perfect grove from which every part glistened gleaming berries. It was as Christmassy a sight as old Scrooge had ever seen. Come in! Come in and know me better, man! I'm the ghost of Christmas present! Look upon me! Spirit, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, uh, let me profit by it. Come, touch my robe. Now, what do you see? Um, I, I see gaiety and Christmas cheer everywhere. Stores lighted up and... Holly and mistletoe. That noise. Do you know whose house that is? Uh, ah, yes. It's the humble home of my clerk, Bob Cratchit. 
Look, Spirit, how happy they are, the children dancing about the table while Mrs. Cratchit lays the feast before them. And uh, who is that man who enters so merrily, carrying a tiny, crippled lad upon his shoulder? Uh, that, sir, is uh, Bob Cratchit and his son, Tiny Tim. See the boy's crutch and his helpless limb supported by an iron frame? How tenderly his father holds him. Spirit, tell me, will, will Tiny Tim live? I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, kind spirit. Say that he will be spared. Why so? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Man, if man you be in heart, will you decide what man shall live, what man shall die? It may be in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Uh, Tis truth you speak. Enough. We must go on. Hold my robe. What now, man? What do you see? I see my nephew and his family. Hear how heartily he laughs and how his family joins him. What else? Well, they joke about me. They drink to my health and happiness, knowing I lack both. They laugh that I miss the dinner they offer, and yet they seem to long for my presence. You observe well. Uh, look at the games they play. I remember them well. I, I almost wish I could join them in their sport. I leave you now. My life upon this globe is very brief. Uh, are spirits' lives so short? Mine ends at midnight tonight. Hark! The time grows near. I go, but another comes. Uh, uh, I'm in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You are about to show me the shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us? Is that so? Ghost of the future, I hear you more than any specter I have seen. But I know your purpose is to do me good. And as I hope to be another man from what I was... I'm prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? Uh, uh, lead on, spirit. Lead on. I, uh, I hear voices. Men and women talking of one who is dead. They rejoice in his death and speak with cold dislike. They quarrel over his possessions, even the sheets from his bed and the curtains from his windows. They have even taken the shirt from his uh, dead body. Uh, spirit, spirit, just with horror I witness this. I, I see I see the case of this unhappy man might be my own. I beg you, let me see some tenderness connected with death that I may forget the horror of what I've just seen. Uh, I pray you, uh, bleed on. Acceding to Scrooge's wish, the ghost of Christmas yet to come conducted him for the second time to the house of his poor clerk and found Mrs. Cratchit and all the little Cratchits seated, still as statues around the fire, but Tiny Tim was nowhere in sight. As they watched, the door opened and Bob Cratchit entered wearily. They all greeted him, eager to bear him comfort, and gave him fresh tea. After a while, he placed his arm around the shoulders of his wife and, calling his children together, ascended the stairs to the room where Tiny Tim lay, cold and still in his little bed. I wish you could have seen how green a place it is where he shall lay. 
would have done you good, my dear. But you'll see it often. I promised him we would walk there on Sundays. My Tim, my little Tim. Don't be sorrowful, Robert. He is where all little angels go, and we must be happy this Christmas, as he would have us. Of course we must. We must be closer than ever before and happier. But however and whenever we part from one another, I am sure we shall none of us forget poor tiny Tim. Shall we, or this first parting that was there among us? Never, Never Father. Never. Never. Oh, no, Father. And I know, my children, that when we recollect how patient and mild he was, though he was a little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor tiny Tim in doing it. No, never, never father. father. Yes, this shall be a Merry Christmas. Once again, the silent ghost of Christmas yet to come beckoned Scrooge to follow, first leading him past the window of his own counting house that he might look in. Scrooge hastened to see what the future held for him there, but saw nothing that he recognized. It was an office, as before, but not his. Another had taken his place and sat at the desk which had been his for so many years. He bowed his head that he might erase the sight. The phantom beckoned him on, pointing as before, this time to an old churchyard overrun with grass and weeds, forgotten and untended. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed solemnly at one. Before I draw nearer to the stone to which you point, answer me this one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they the shadows of the things that only might be? Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends, no doubt. But if these courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. I beg you, uh, say it, say it. My name. Tis my name that is carved on the stone. Am I the man whose death they welcomed, over whose possessions they quarreled? No, spirit, no, spirit, hear me, hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been for this intervention. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Good spirit, your hand trembles. Your, your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Uh, assure me that I may yet change these shadows that you have shown me. By an altered life, I will live in the past, present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, tell me, spirit, that I may sponge away the writing on this stone. I beg you, tell me. In his agony, old Scrooge caught the spectral hand. It sought to free itself, but he was strong in his will and detained it. The spirit, stronger yet, repulsed him. Holding his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw a sudden alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled until his hands clasped nothing but emptiness. The ghost of Christmas yet to come had left him. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all year. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on the stone. I beg you to... Uh, 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 I... I live. I, I'm not dead. Oh, Jacob, oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and Christmas be praised for this. I say it on my knees, Jacob, on my knees. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm as light as a feather. I'm happy as an angel. I'm merry as a schoolboy. A Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all of the world. Hello, hello. I don't know what day it is. 
I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. Uh, hello, hello, my fine fellow. Uh, what day is this? It's Christmas Day, sir. Uh, Christmas Day! Hooray! Hooray! I haven't missed it after all. The spirits have done it all in one night. Oh, heaven be praised. Marley, oh, Jacob Marley, wherever you are, hear me. I know you're close by, so listen to my heart's desire. First, I shall send that fine prize turkey I saw hanging in the poultry shop to Bob Cratchit. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim, and he won't even know who sends it. Ah, then I shall dress in my best, and after a visit to church, shall go out into the streets, if only to wish the passers-by a Merry Christmas. I shall give to all who need, and I shall pet the heads of the little children who come by. Ah, finally, my walk will lead me to the home of my nephew. Bless my soul, how surprised they will be to have me sit at the table with them in happy fellowship. Then, Marley, dear Jacob Marley, I shall go my way to Bob Cratchit's home to partake in that splendid bird with them, to whisper in Bob's ear that so long as I live, one shall not darken their door again. But, Marley, most of all, I shall go to bring the cheer of Christmas to Tiny Tim. So, dressing himself just as he had planned, he set out as light in heart as a boy, wishing all who passed him by the merriest of Christmases. He went to church, questioned beggars, and patted all the little children on the head. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter at the outset. He had never dreamed that any walk, nay, anything could ever give him such happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's home, where he went with affection and was received with happy welcome, arriving finally at the home of Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim. As he entered, they were all seated at the table, making ready to partake of the fine bird that he had sent them. May I join you in your Christmas feast this Christmas day, Cratchit? Why, yes, sir. Yes, sir, and welcome. Please sit down, Mr. Scrooge. Please sit down. Ah, a Merry Christmas to you and yours, Bob Cratchit. And a Merry Christmas to you, Tiny Tim. A Merry Christmas to you, too. And God bless us, everyone. We hope you have enjoyed the WICH presentation of A Christmas Carol. Starring Stu Breyer as Ebenezer Scrooge. Kevin Gordon as Bob Cratchit. Jim Reed as The Collector. Johnny London as Scrooge's nephew, Fred. John Morosco as Jacob Marley's ghost. Mark Wayne as the ghost of Christmas past. Monique Boulay as young Scrooge's fiance. Michael Burns as the ghost of Christmas present. Karen Dole as Bob Cratchit's wife. Wayne Genak as Master Peter Cratchit. And Bill Reese as your narrator. This show was produced, adapted, and edited by Bill Reese. This is Tom Thaler, and for the entire staff of WICH, I'd like to wish you a safe and very Merry Christmas. Christmas.